Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This introduction is going to be not like my usual long, lengthy one. It's going to be wham, bam, bam, balam, because it's Tuesday afternoon as I'm recording this, and I got to get this sucker loaded up and out the door by tomorrow morning. I'm not usually this last minute on my podcast being released. I actually am usually like a whole week ahead, but I'm going to tell you in a minute what happened to make this such and how it relates to the big picture. But before I tell you what happened, um, I do have two quick things I want to share with you first. First of all, I wanted to share the review of the week with a big thanks to Joanne Crawl and The Niner. Joanne says the podcast is educational, entertaining, and inspirational. She loves all the stories and lessons. Emily is a fantastic interviewer and storyteller, plus she has a wonderful voice. Thank you so much, Joanne. And from the Niner, the Niner says, thank you. Thank you for the information and inspiration. This keeps me coming back week after week. And to Joanne and the Niner, thank you both. I want to say that you are what keep me coming back. Uh, week after week. And I think it's important for you to know that a review goes a long, long way for a podcaster. And in writing a review, you are literally helping me to build this and make it even better with your awesome words. So if you have time and you want to take that time to write me a review, I would not turn it away. And now that you've heard the reviews, you probably are like, oh my gosh, I definitely have a little bit of a better idea about what this podcast is all about. And I think I need to stick around and be a regular listener. So if this is your first time here and those reviews evoked that kind of emotion for you, you just need to subscribe, follow, whatever your podcast app tells you to do. And that way you will be the first to hear when it comes out on Wednesday mornings at 3.33 Eastern time. You know, like if you want to set your alarm or something. And if the reviews didn't really paint the full picture for you about what this podcast is all about, it is uh, brought to you by yours truly, Emily Aborn. I'm a content writer as well as the owner and founder of She Built This, but there is more to She Built This than just this podcast. I like to think of the podcast as an extension of what we're doing over in the She Built This community, which is basically an online gathering of women entrepreneurs who I actually think I need to tell you a quick story so that you can understand and fully grasp what it's like to be a part of this community. Back in my 20s, um, I loved to run and I was like always sprinting off here, there and everywhere. I loved especially races where the distance was either like 10K or a half marathon. Um, the most I ever ran was like 22 miles. I, I one day just picked up on a random summer day and ran from where I was living to my parents' house to save money on gas. I have never run a marathon though. 22 miles is my max and I've never actually had like the compulsion to do so. That's never been on my bucket list per, per se. Um but the first 5K that I ever did was a pretty memorable instance. 
I decided to try it for my first time and also my last time back in 2009. And I attended this um, race called Jordan's Walk for Wishes and and Dash for Dreams. And that was in Brookline, New Hampshire. Now, before the race, like I always did, I made sure I was hydrated. I drank a water. I drank a giant kombucha. I was actually drinking kombucha before it was like a thing and I don't drink it anymore, but just want everyone to know I I was on board with that trend before it was even a trend. Um, then I did, you know, all my stretches and like shaked out all my nerves and sillies and went pee, of course, to make sure that I wouldn't need to go during the race. So once the race started, I very quickly realized that a 5K is a lot different than a 10K or a half marathon. In in those, I knew how to pace myself. Like I knew that you could, you know, kind of start out going pretty quick, then you could taper off and go a little bit slower. And then at the end, like shift into high gear until you cross the finish line. Well, in a 5k, I didn't realize that you just have to run fast like the entire time. And in this particular race, you know, one might say like, oh no, just take it easy on yourself if it's your first 5k. Well, no, I didn't have a choice. I had to run as fast as humanly possible because this thin little blonde blue eyed girl next to me was going just a little bit faster than me. And I have quite a competitive streak. And so I had to run as fast as I possibly could. So anyway, I'm cruising along, you know, pressing, pressing on, digging deep, mustering every ounce of speed and strength that my body has in it. And suddenly I started peeing myself and I could not stop peeing myself. Apparently, this is what happens when you are running way faster than normal and you just drank a ton of water and chugged a kombucha before a race. Who knew? Anyway, this guy next to me notices what's happening and he says, don't worry about it, kid. At the next water station, just grab two paper cups of water and start dumping them all over your shorts. No one will ever know the difference. And I was like, this man is a genius. So at the next water stop, I did. I grabbed two cups of water and I just started like dumping them all over my shorts and just basically covered myself in water. And you know what? He did it too. He was totally making me look like less of a weirdo dousing herself with drinking water by uh, being a fool right alongside me. So anyway, then we just keep on running. And of course, the story would be like magical and fantastic if I won the race and beat the little blonde blue eyed girl that was running just ever so slightly faster than me. But no. I did not beat her. She actually ended up beating me by six seconds. In my defense, she was in like the 12 to 14 year olds category and I was 24. And so like she didn't have all that, those years of baggage and also a still too full bladder to haul around with her to the finish line. But still she won. And I think this story really illustrates what it's like to be a part of the She Built This community. Essentially, we are the group of people running next to you, kind of like that guy. Like we've got your back. And when you find yourself making an oops or flailing or flopping or making a mistake, we're going to either warn you about it and or we're going to help you um, get out of it. Because while running a business may not be like super complicated, it's not 
always easy. And I think that knowing that someone has your back and imagine like a whole community that has your back and is cheering you on to do your very best and giving you the tools and resources you need. um, That's what helps you to get to the finish line with your head held high and feeling like the winner you are. I think that running, when you're running the race, it is just a whole lot easier with the right people by your side. And that's what the group is all about. So if you want to learn more, that was kind of like an analogy, but if you want to learn more about She Built This, just go to shebuiltthis.org and it has all of the information about the different tiers of becoming a member. And if you're like, oh my gosh, Emily, that was way too much information to give the world at large. If you're thinking that, you may be right. But I think that after you hear my guest today, Laura Belgray of Talking Shrimp, you you might be second guessing your opinion on that. All right, so now let's get to the good stuff. I have been waiting on the edge of my seat literally recording this intro on the edge of my seat, I just noticed, for today's guest, Laura Belgray. She and I were supposed to chat last week and I was all on track and on plan with my podcast schedule, but then poor Laura got stuck on a tropical vacation due to travel restrictions. And so we had to bump our interview to this week. And now if you know me, you know that I love a plan, which I'm actually going to get into a little bit next week because next week's guest is all about unplanning and not being attached to the outcome, but I'm not going to spoil it. I love to string you along and keep you guessing. So you're going to have to wait until next week to hear who that is. But probably as much as I love a plan, I also love a good story about a plan that went awry. Maybe you have a story like that. Maybe you have a story about peeing your pants. Maybe that's just one of the many stories that you have and you will feel inspired to share after this interview. Laura Belgray is the founder of Talking Shrimp and co-creator of The Copy Cure. She's a copywriting expert who helps entrepreneurs find the perfect words to express and sell what they do in a way that gets them paid to be themselves. Through her work with hundreds of clients, including online biggies like Marie Forleo and Amy Porterfield, she's seen firsthand that putting you into your copy and all through your business is pure magic for getting people to love you up, share your ideas, and happily click your buy now button. Laura and I talk about her thoughts on season two of the show, Emily in Paris, um, how showing up as yourself is a gift to other people around you what some of the blocks are that Laura sees to entrepreneurs putting more personality into their brand and also how we can overcome those things. Laura gives us a really easy action step to better copy starting today. And she also shares about her appreciation for vermicelli noodles and of course, so much more. So here it is, my hot is hot gets off the press interview with Laura Belgray of Talking Shrimp. I don't even need to tell you to enjoy because I know you will. Hi, Laura, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Hello, hello, Emily, and thank you so much for having me here. I'm thrilled to have you here and very, very excited. Long awaited. Um, So first and foremost, I think probably the most important question and what's on everyone's mind is, did you watch the second season of Emily in Paris yet? And and are you going to write another blog about it? I did watch it. Um, I hate watched it just like I watched the first season. And 
Um, I, I mean, I watched it all in one go, I would say over the course of probably one day, maybe two. And I don't know if, I don't know if it warrants another blog post. Here's why. I think that it improved a little bit and it gave me a little bit less to hate. Like I, I, I was disappointed by that. I feel like she made progress in her life. She became a little more self-aware. Um, she was forced to start learning French, but still she started learning French and at, at, at least gave it a try. And they had a little more focus on the old, on the boss, Sylvie, which I thought she deserved. Uh, and yeah, th- so like other other things that, I found fault with um, and enjoyed finding fault with were kind of remedied. And so what is up with her outfits is all I have to ask. Like I, <laughs> I, I went to France and I lived in France. I was Emily in Paris, only I wasn't in Paris. And I, I just did not see outfits like that. They were so awful. So no that, one wears outfits like that, no. especially not in Paris. Um, but I don't know. People think the fashion is awesome. A lot of people say, how can you hate the show? The fashion is so great. So I don't know. I Maybe I have a chip missing and maybe you do too. I mean, I am wearing like sweatpants and a, Me too. a, a t-shirt right now. So there is that. But <laughs> too. I'm a big fan of sweats and I, th- I think they're very stylish, even though my husband keeps pointing out that I have a droopy butt. I mean, never. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Droopy butt club. Um, okay. So I read your bio, obviously, before you got on, but I would love to hear in your own words uh, who you are and how you help people. Okay. So who I am is, well, I am known for being a copywriter, uh, but I would say that my overall, and that's how I cut my teeth. That's how I made my name, but my overall more umbrella mission is to help people uh, who are solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, any kind of preneur, anyone with a, a business or a brand, maybe a personal brand, to put their entire personality into the way they express themselves in their business, make their business a full expression of their personality so that essentially they are getting paid to be themselves. To me, that is the holy grail of work is feeling like you're getting paid to be you. So that's what I help people do. I love that. And we, you know, we hear so much about like putting the focus on the client and like what the client is like. And so I love that you kind of take another spin at it where it is about the client, of course, and the customer, but you also say like, go ahead, add yourself to your copy and to your brand and add more of yourself to your copy and to your brand. So, um, I also would love to hear for those who haven't heard it. I've heard a little bit of it um, because I've like binge listened to every single podcast that you're on. (laughs) But if you could tell us a little about your backstory, like how did you become a copywriter and then kind of like transition into the way that you work today? Yeah, well, I became a copywriter long ago um, when I discovered that copywriting was a thing. And that was when I was at a magazine called Spy. I started there with an internship. This was like a cool downtown magazine in New York City in the 80s and 90s. I I started in the early 90s and it was the place to be and uh, the place to have an internship. Um, But I quickly discovered that I was terrible at my internship and I wanted to work in magazines in some capacity, but I didn't, I realized very fast that I didn't want to be a journalist. I didn't have any 
ideas that I was supposed to pitch ideas to the magazine. And the only thing I was capable of doing in my job capacity was Xerox. I, it was my job every day to, to Xerox and distribute the gossip pages. Um, I had to Xerox collate and distribute them with a staple. That's Um, hard. It was hard. Collating is difficult. It really is. Uh, And I messed it up many times. But, you know, so the gossip pages from the post, the observer, the, you know, whatever, anything that had a gossip page, I would put them on the editor's desks. But my other um, responsibility was supposed to be to come up with and pitch ideas. And I never had any. And uh, the editor took me out to lunch one day and she said to me, you know, you can take initiative here. Um, <laughs> that was, I was like initiative. Oh no, uh, I don't have any of that. But luckily when my internship was up after six months, the ad side uh, invited me over to, and gave me a real job. And uh, unlike most magazines, we were all on one floor. Usually there's separation of church and state. You know, the advertising and the editorial are separate departments, separate floors. But here we were all on one floor, one family, and they just liked me. Um, it was just a result of my, you know, walking around the floor, strolling around when I was supposed <laughs> to be taking initiative and mingling and schmoozing with people. So they gave me a job. Um doing just kind of administrative stuff, but gave me an assignment at some point, which was to write a full page advertorial for doers, which was one of their sponsors. And advertorials are those pages in the magazine that look like they're part of the magazine, but are actually an ad. And I'll say in tiny print at the top promotion or advertisement. Um, So this one was for doers. And I was I had to come up with like fun things to fill the page with. So I wrote a quiz called Do You Party Like Your Uncle Marty? And that was um, to determine whether you were an old fart loser or someone hip and young. And um, if you were an old fart loser, the remedy was to drink doers. And it had a recipe in the sidebar and that someone else came up with and a little essay by that I wrote on adulting. And... Um, this is brilliant. So so that was my first copywriting job. I didn't know it was called copywriting, I don't think. We at at a magazine in publishing, copy is anything that goes on the page. It's anything like I need copy for this article. I need copy here, I need copy there, you know, do you have copy yet? So um that was a different take on copywriting and this advertorial was the first time I did anything that wouldn't you know, that we would call copywriting, which was uh, writing to get people to buy something or take an action. I feel like every copywriter has the story that they did not know that they were mm-hmm. doing copy when they were doing copy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I hear this That's all true. the time. I'm, I mean, I mean, and, and also entrepreneurs have to wear that hat, like mm-hmm. uh, unless they outsource it, but to some extent you have to write copy for your business. Yes. Um, and it's true. Most people don't know that copywriting is a thing until they usually it's until they have some kind of a business and they realize that they need it. They realize that that's what's wrong with their business uh, is the words and which turn out to be the copy that aren't selling. And they realize that they have to learn it. And then 
a lot of copywriters, people who become copywriters discover it in some other way and realize, oh, that's the kind of writing I could do, or that's something I could do to make a living. That's something I could be good at. So people come across it in all different ways, but it's not something that we're taught in school. And what's the meaning behind the name, the talking shrimp? Okay, so it's just talking shrimp, oh, not sorry. the. That's okay. Um, I just like to, I, I don't know why that's so important to me. Um, if, <laughs> yes, talking shrimp. I wish there were a sexier story behind the name. It the, the story really is that my husband and I, about a year into marriage, got our, you know, taxes. Um, we're told what we owed in taxes, or maybe we got a return that gave us nothing back. And so we got reamed. And I said to my accountant, I was like, I thought when you were married, you had it like better tax. I thought it was better for taxes. He said, I don't know what gave you that impression, but um, no, it's taxes are way worse when you get married and what you should do is incorporate. And uh, he was like, you, you know, you and your husband both do things that could be incorporated. Um, and so you should just pick a name and preferably one with an available URL and we'll get it done. So really it was a tax decision and um, just made a list of possible names that meant anything or nothing and could apply to either of us because I was in writing. I was doing TV promos at the time and uh, and he was in restaurants. So Talking Shrimp was on the list and believe it or not, the available the URL was available. So it, like no one had snapped it up. So that's where talking shrimp comes from. <laughs> it's kind of a nothing story, but I will say that later on, um, as I was starting to like study marketing and pay attention to Seth Godin, who had uh, the book called Purple Cow, I realized talking shrimp was sort of in the same vein. Purple cow was, you know, symbolic of something that made you that made you look, that made that turned your head. It reminds me of this store we had when I went to college called Giant Eagle. I was like, who names a store <laughs> Giant Eagle? But you know what? We always like it's very recognizable. So I think there's also that when you're building a brand. Um, let's talk a little bit about like what the difference is for you between a brand personality and a and a personality brand. <laughs> have I have I talked about that before? Because right now, I mean I, maybe I'm just rusty on that topic, but I'm struggling to think what is the difference. And is that something you've heard me talk about? Because if you have, please remind me what I say. Normally. I might just be pulling this one from my armpit, <laughs> but do you have any thoughts on it? <laughs> it's, it smells like deodorant. I thought so. Um, okay. So a brand personality versus a personality brand. I don't know if I do. I want to hear what you think is the difference. So a yeah. So a lot of times we're encouraged to find our brand personality. Mm -hmm. So like, is your brand personality light, mm. airy, um, sensitive, right. Got it. you know, yes. that kind of thing. So I guess m my question is like, is there a difference between that, those words that we attribute, like kind of like outside of ourselves to becoming a personality brand? Got it. Okay. You know what I think of it as a Per okay, here's here's where I'm um, thrown off. I think of it as a personal brand. I guess that's exactly what you're talking about when you say a personality brand, like a brand that is when uh, a, a person is the face of their brand, right? Yes. yes. Um, so I think that that's that's what that is. 
And so any brand can have a personality. Um, it might be a cookie brand, and that generally wouldn't be a personal brand, except in the case of, say, Paul Newman's cookies, right? That's a, that is a personal brand where Paul Newman was the face of the business. Um, but so it could be, you know, it could be cookies and, and a cookie brand could have all different personalities. It might be um, snarky and edgy, or it might be like confetti throwing, um, you know, confetti throwing and girly, or there are so many different ways a cookie company could go. But then a brand, a personal brand would be when your brand is an expression of your personality. You are the face of it and your personality is the personality of your brand. And I think that's the way to go when you're a personal brand. For instance, if you're an expert, uh, an author, a coach, a consultant, somebody who, um, or a copywriter, uh, I mean, I have, I've made my brand, my brand is a personal brand and yeah. has my personality. And I would say it always has had my personality, but originally it did not show me nearly as much. Like even if I was the face of it, I didn't put my face on it. And so in a, in a sense, it was less of a personal brand where it was a less personal brand until I um, until I rebranded and was like, you know what, I'm, if I'm going to be the face of the brand, I'm going to be the face of the brand. And that's the way to become known. Okay. So that's where I want to dive into. So what do you see? Okay. First of all, I think some people listening are going to be like, well, my personality is very boring. <laughs> um, and I probably shouldn't make my brand, my personality. So that's one, that's one thing is like, how do you kind of help people overcome that? And then like, what other blocks do you frequently hear when it comes to turning one's personality into a brand? Because I think for some people that can feel like they want to keep themselves separate from their business. Yeah. And I think that's a person, it's perfectly legit choice. Uh, if you don't want, if, if you don't think you have a personality or if you think your personality is boring, First of all, I think that's, you know, that must make life kind of tough. Like, do do people find you? <laughs> do people find you boring? If so, um, if you are a bore and a snooze, I guess maybe take some personality courses. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's perfectly fine to say, you know what, I don't want to be the face of my brand. I don't want my brand to have my personality. I want it to have a different personality. I think that if you are not expressing some part of yourself through your brand, um, then it's going to be difficult to sustain unless you hire somebody to be the voice, to come up with the voice of your brand, to do all your copy for you, to make all, to create all your content for you. And you're not going to be able to go out and promote it as yourself um, in all the ways that I think are really helpful for becoming for for getting known and getting clients or buyers, which means getting publicity, going out there on stages, um, et cetera. I'm thinking right now, right now I'm thinking of like Tim Cook, uh, who had to, you know, took over Apple when Steve Jobs was gone. And I don't think he's Mr. Personality, but he's still, um, even though I wouldn't call Apple a personal brand, of his, um, you still have to, somebody still has to be a spokesperson, I think, in some capacity. So you've got to come up with something in terms of 
personality and um, saying like, I have a boring personality. You don't have to be boring. You know, do, do your best to um, inform, educate, entertain, tell story. If you don't have any stories of your own, tell other people's stories. So here's another question I think that will pop up for people. What happens if they're thinking, well, my subject is actually just a little bit boring. Like maybe I'm dealing with something that is just not very exciting, like tech and tools or data or, I mean, not, I'm not saying that those things are boring because I know that some people find them fascinating, but right. that's what I'm thinking of off the top of my right. head. Right. Well, if you're dealing with something that other people find boring, that's one thing. But if you find it boring, I don't know what you're doing in it. Um, like selling it or promoting it or dealing with it. I have a feeling that anyone who says that actually is passionate in some way about what they're doing or or knows or finds something interesting about it. And I think you can make anything exciting. It's like on the user end, that is probably sexier. If you talk about the coding of, you know, say you do something in tech and it's something for, you know, I don't know, security for big companies and sounds really unsexy. I'm sure that you can find a sexy way in You're talking about the, you know, a disaster that could happen and that it prevents um, and how it might affect one person in there. I'm, I'm getting kind of in the weeds talking about this, but I think that there's always something interesting to say about anything that you sell. It's going to be interesting and exciting and sexy enough to somebody to uh, to buy it and for you to talk about. All right. So let's talk about like kind of how to mine out some of those stories. Like how do you, I mean, you have a million great stories. So how do you start when you're trying to figure out what to stay, say and what stories to share? Um, so I personally just tell stories as they come up and, or as I think of them, I keep a bank of stories. So for, for myself, I have an Evernote um, that is called like email stories or email and blog stories, I think it's still called. And anytime something happens or I notice something on the street or overhear something, even if I don't know what it will connect to, I write it down, I put it in the Evernote to mine it later. Usually, I'll be thinking about it in some way that connects to something that I want to talk about. And when that happens, I definitely note it down um, because later I'll forget. I'll be like, how does that, you know, how does that fighting couple I overheard on the street connect with uh, Inbox Hero that I'm watching right now? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so I always take note of that. But I think. You know, you, you want to tell stories that connect to a point, to a takeaway of some sort, or if you're using them to sell something, that connect to um, the thing that you are selling, the problem that it solves, or the benefit that it provides. So you so the puzzle is to come up with a way that the story ties into it, usually. Sometimes it'll be very easy to think of that, that it'll be obvious, and sometimes it's more uh, tricky. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes that's the hardest part. You know, you're like, this is so good and I have to use this story. I just need to somehow turn it around to click here and listen to my podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes like when I'm falling asleep, mm -hmm. 
these little stories pop into my head and I'm like, oh my God. So I have a little note card next to my bed or wherever I'm sleeping. And sometimes the words are not legible, I will admit, <laughs> but it, it usually does come back to me later in the day. I'm like, did that say stories or stores? And mm-hmm. then it pops in. Later. Yeah. I, that's, um, I think that's really smart of you to put like, to have something to write on wherever you are. And some people have, I don't have a board in the shower, like one of those waterproof whiteboards, but I think it's a brilliant thing to have, nor would my husband ever approve of it. Um, so uh, he's very aesthetically inclined. Um, but I, I think that anywhere that lateral thinking happens, like for me, it's when I'm out walking, that's when I think of things or when I'm listening to a podcast that I'm trying to focus on. Usually I'll end up thinking of stories constantly while I'm listening to that podcast and have to, you know, I'll have to keep stopping and type them into my Evernote on my phone and then rewind the podcast over and over. Um, but it's, it's great. It's when you're not trying to think of something that usually those things happen. It's so true. Over me, it's when I'm on my rowing machine and I'm like, I don't have any free hands. (laughs) Yes, exactly. All right. So what's like one of the things that you see in the online? Like, I'm sure there are a lot of things in online marketing and just like this, this whole thing around visibility and, and getting people to do business online that drives you crazy and gets under your skin. So what's like your biggest pet peeve right now um, when it comes to the online marketing world? Oh gosh, so many. One is right now is like people copy pasting um, any swipes that they've bought. Like these things are these templates, or they're not even templates. They're full on copy paste, um, like full emails or sales pages or anything or ads Mm -hmm. that are sold as you know just copy paste this and send it to your list or copy paste this and put it in your in your Facebook ad, it works like a charm. And it's always so um, army issue. You can tell it's been copy pasted. It's not specific. Uh, I get them from cold emails constantly that are, um, and I just wrote about this to my list. I hate these. I got two within the same hour and I'll probably get one about this podcast. They were each about a different podcast. And it was like, Uh, Hey, Laura, I heard you recently on, you know, or I just listened to you on Farnoosh Tarabi's So Many Podcasts. Hey, Laura, I just listened to you on, you know, it might be next, the the She Built This Podcast. Um, And I was wondering uh, how, you know, how did this do for you in terms of traction and and leads and and visibility or something like that and publicity? Would you like more of this publicity? If so, you know, I'm CCing my partner, so-and-so. I mean, they both said this, the exact same words, copy-pasted. Um, so we can set up a time to talk about getting you more publicity. And it was, I mean, the whole thing was it word for word, the exactly the same, except for the name of the podcast and the person who was CC'd. And I was just like, I, I couldn't help myself. I wrote back to the second one, did all of you publicity people wake up and buy the same template today. Um. <laughs> I have definitely written back. This is this is a pet peeve of mine too. And I see it with podcast pitches. And I just write back and I'm like, that was so uncreative. And you just clearly didn't even listen to the episode that you're claiming you listened to. So why do you think they do this? Like what is, I mean, obviously with bigger agencies, it's just like they want to just get as many out there as they possibly can. But why do you think that individual entrepreneurs are doing this? Um, well, I, I think 
a couple of reasons. One is they are time strapped and they've been given permission by the seller, like just copy paste this and blanket, mm-hmm. you know, send it out. It's a numbers game. The more people you send it out to, the more yeses you'll get back. And um, I think the sense there is like good enough is good enough. And they just send it out hoping that, you know, it's a spray and pray method of marketing. And they just hope that somebody falls for it and is flattered enough by I listened to you on this podcast um, to open it up, which that worked on me. Like the flattery of the first line and the preview text worked on me. But and then they hope that the person is new to this and will light up at the idea that they could get more podcasts. So I think they do it because they're they're time strapped. They've been given permission and they don't have any confidence in their own ability to write something original and fresh. Okay, so yeah, so let's go to the con- the confidence of not having um, the the ability to write it for themselves. So w- when it comes to writing your own copy and your own content, even if somebody considers themselves a good writer, but what is happening when their copy and their content is like, sucking or falling flat and it's just not working for them, in your opinion? Well, there are so many reasons why their copy might be falling flat. I I think one that comes to mind, and it wouldn't be in this case of the, um, you know, of the cold email. I think, you know, those are, those are likely to fall flat and get a no because you're sending them to busy people and they know it's a cold email and they, you know, and they get, probably hundreds a day. So that's not that that one is um, tougher. But say in sales page or anything that you are selling, I think one thing that falls flat the most is when the person writing it wants people to want what they want to sell, rather than selling what people want. So I'll just give you an example. For instance, like a client of mine, uh, and I think about this a lot, like one client of mine, um, had on her website and all her sales copy, uh, she was she helped parents um, with their parenting. And her big promise was, I help you transform your timeouts. I help, I help parents transform their timeouts. And she explained to me how important this was that people were using the wrong kinds of timeouts with their kids to get their kids to behave. And um, And the problem, I was like, what's the real problem? And she's like, well, parents feel like, you know, they they don't want to yell at their kids. It makes them feel like a meanie. They want to be nice, but their kids don't behave. They can't get their kids to behave without being, without becoming an ogre. Um, And they can't take their kids anywhere. Their kids, you know, are screaming and awful in public and it's embarrassing and they just... Um, it ruins their lives. And I was going to say, it sounds like a bigger problem than yeah. just time out, honey. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, well, there's no parent. And this is what it comes down to. Like, what are people having night sweats about? What are they thinking about all day? What is the pebble in their shoe? And what are the words they say to themselves? And so no parent is walking around saying, I've got to find a way to t- transform my timeouts. <laughs> like, oh, I know if I knew a better timeout, then none of this would be happening. So I was like, what if we changed it to something like have kids, You because this is what they want. They want kids they can take anywhere um, without being mean. So I was like, what if it's like have kids you can take anywhere without being an ogre? And so we changed it to that and it made so much more sense to her clients. Like immediately people understood what 
this person was offering and the transformation they were offering. So she really wanted what she wanted them to want was to transform their timeouts. And that's where people get really stubborn. It's like, you know, teaching these, teaching certain concepts, a thing that they think is really important. And it does come down to that adage of sell them what they want, then give them what they need. You've got to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, so to me, that is really where it falls flat. It's not that your copy isn't sparkling enough. Um, although one, one other thing that will make it fall flat fast is writing in a professional, what you think of as professional, formal, buttoned up, um, you know, teacher approved tone. And we, so we get into these we get into these habits that our teachers have drilled into us, or if we've worked in corporate somewhere or um, corporate escapees, we've also had drilled into us there that you can't use contractions, that you can't use sentence fragments, all these things that a teacher would circle in big red pen and, you know, got to love teachers. And I had some great teachers, but they really drill some, some habits into us that are not great for business. Um, so writing like you talk, is so important because copy is a copy should be like a conversation. It shouldn't. Right. What were you going to say? I love, I love your tip of just like, there's a key next. Well, on a Mac, it would be like next to the return. Just use the, the thing that makes it is to it's. Yeah, that's exactly it. All it takes. If you touch type is your right pinky. Um, that's what hits Mr. Apostrophe. And that makes your copy so much more conversational and easy to read. And, you know, even if we aren't reading it out loud, we're reading it out loud in our heads, most of us with our reading habits. And so if your copy says something like, um, hello, and welcome to my website, this, you know, I will teach you to blah, blah, blah. Although now I'm thinking of Ramit Sethi's brand, I will teach you to be rich, which is funny in its formality. Um, but that's automatically a turnoff to us. It sounds so formal and stilted and robotic. And it should be like, you know, so it'll say like, hello, I am so glad that you are here. Um, you know, I will teach you to blah, blah, blah. Instead of, hi, I'm so glad you're here. I'll teach you to blank. So we use contractions when we talk out loud. And that's what we want on the page. Not everything has to be a contraction. Sometimes we want to be more emphatic and say it full out um, instead of contracting the words. But in general, you want to read your stuff out loud and where you find yourself changing it as you read it out loud, change it also on the page to reflect that, how you would actually say it. It makes it more fun too. I think like when you, you know, that's one of the biggest transformations I've seen in myself over the past years mm -hmm. is just giving myself the permission to use words that I say in everyday conversation, which are not real words sometimes right? <laughs> and, and using them in my copy. And I like it. And those are the ones I get the comments on, you know, like those are the words people will laugh about and say mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's such a funny phrase. So, um, I love that concept personally and, and making it more casual. And I think you are so right. Like we were all brought up to be taught that formal is better and we're not writing like dissertations here. So <laughs> right. we can kind of remove that from it. Right. It's not a legal brief. And also I think it's, it's an old idea to confuse professional with formal. Um, professional doesn't have to mean buttoned up. I'd say that conversational is the new professional. And if you look at, say I'll use Apple again as an example 
their tagline for years, I think it still is, was think different. Any teacher would take that, would circle different and change it to differently. It's not grammatically correct. And that's a really good example. Um, And going back to sell them what they want, give them what they need. I just think it's really important, no matter what we're doing. You hit it on the, uh, the nail on the head when you talked about her changing her words to be what her clients are saying. We need to listen to what other people are saying mm-hmm. and and use those words. Like I cannot stress that enough, whether it comes in the form of you just asking them or testimonials or having conversations with them. But we do need to use their words because when they're reading it and they see themselves in what you're writing, it's like an aha moment. You know, like they feel seen and heard. And that's what we want to come through in our writing. Yes, uh, 100%. It's um, tempting to make things clever or make them like to to stay inside your own head where you have this amazing concept that you're in love with. Um, and usually those things don't end up resonating. We are too way too inside our own heads. And the things that people respond to are things that sound like them, like what they say to themselves. And you know that you've got a winner when people say, are, you know, have you been reading my journal? How are you so in my head? Or this exact this is exactly what I was thinking and needed to hear today or need to buy. All right. So I want to shift gears um, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we see you now and we are like, oh my gosh, Laura Belgray, celebrity. Like pretty, <laughs> you, are, you, you are a celebrity in the entrepreneurial world. So you need <laughs> to just face, face it. But, Small we pond, see but you, thank you. <laughs> we see you like super successful, smart, savvy, making money off of sending emails. And we're like, okay, did this just naturally take off? Or what was the process like? Like I think people down, you know, in the messy middle or in the middle mm-hmm. want want to hear from somebody that's been through it before them. So how did you kind of, I guess my, my question is like, w- w- did you just naturally have this ability to turn ideas into monetization or was that mm-hmm. something you sort of like worked your way up to? I think it's, it's for sure something I worked my way up to. I, I knew how to help people with their copy. I knew how to help clients. Um, and Mostly it was because I knew how to write conversationally and help them get the words out of their head and onto the page in a way that sounded like them. So that I knew how to do. And I also knew how to tell stories. I knew how to write and um, like writing that resonated with people that they really, that was entertaining, that they enjoyed. Those two things were totally separate for many years. I mean, I got into the entrepreneurial world in like 2010 um, or 2009, around there. And starting then, I, I would write blog posts. I would write stories in my blog posts that were just whatever I wanted to write about, stories about nothing, stories about growing up in New York City in the 70s and 80s, stories about my dad, um, stories about food and restaurants and all kinds of things like that. And then at the same time, I would help clients with their copy. I started helping private clients and really like people would read my blog posts and say, I love your copy. And the the blog posts had no call to action except like, has this ever happened to you? Comment, leave me a comment and let me know. That was it. It was, it had nothing to do, did not lead to a sale in any form. Um, ne- rarely did I mention my services in my blog posts or emails. 
And so the two were disconnected, even if the stories led people to believe that my copy could work for them or I could help them with their copy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then things didn't really come together until, well, a couple of things. One is that I started promoting B-School as an affiliate. That was the first time I tried my hand as an affiliate and tried actually using my emails to sell something. My emails would always just be an intro to my blog post. Like, here's something I wrote about, go check it out. And then I started, right, so so with my first affiliate promotion for B-School, I started writing emails that would tell a story and then explain why B-School was great, why they should check out B-School and what B-School had done for me in my life and how it had changed my life. So stories like that. And so I, those were stories that actually sold um, in the way that I do now. So I, that was me trying my hand at it, not really understanding that that was an evolution in my writing style. But um, I sold a bunch um, and I was like, holy crap, that actually worked. Like telling stories and then said, I can sell. I didn't realize that. I hadn't really sold anything for myself. I had helped clients with their copy, but I hadn't tried my hand at that uh, yet. So I had these stories that sold. And then in 2017 or 2016, um, somewhere around there, I st- I came up with, finally came up with my own products. They were mini products, just a, a mini course called 60 Minute Makeovers Copywriting Mini Course. Um, that was a, like a product that I had created just as a freebie. I um, gave it away to everyone in this copy cure pop-up that we had. And people said I would pay for this. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to charge for it. And so I started emailing to sell that. Like I actually did a little bit of a launch. It wasn't an open and close card. It's just an announcement. And here it is. And I wrote an email about it um, that sold really well. And I was like, another moment of holy crap, this actually works. And so I started getting more into it, the idea of using my emails and using my stories to sell things. And I created another product, um, my about page builder and sold that and this product called the uh, tackle your tagline cheat sheet and sold that. And uh, I was really encouraged and started geeking out on email. And I the, I believe I created a welcome sequence. I had switched to ConvertKit, which kind of templates out a welcome sequence for you. It just, it, it told me like what to put in what sequence of, you know, of emails and I used that. I followed along with it and created a welcome sequence and was so excited about the replies and the open rates that they got. And um, I was like, I love email. I think I want to be an expert on email. And so I created this epic blog post on it. Uh, and it was, it's basically a masterclass on the page uh, and it still lives on my website and it had gated content. It said, if you like this, get sign up for this opt-in. I created a new opt-in, which was um, my guide to subject lines. And I was so jazzed about the whole thing that I put, I started putting all my energy into my emails. I'm going to, it was like, I'm going to make this a thing. And I realized that this was what I had been looking for. This was a way of writing whatever I felt like writing about in a way that made me a living. 
Um, and like, that was, that was a a Nirvana moment. Like, holy shit, this is the business I wanted. I was looking for it for so long. Okay. So if somebody is in that place where they're like a little bit scared to show up and be visible and sell themselves, what Mm -hmm. is a piece of advice that you would give them? Um, first of all, it is a gift to other people when you show up as yourself and become visible. You think about any person who you follow, admire, learn from, um, whose stuff you love and that you're, whose stuff you're really grateful for, you can be that person for somebody. And think about it this way, that person, it's very likely that that person had a moment or a lifetime of, ugh, I don't, want to be visible. I want to hide. I don't want to put myself out there. What if people hate me? What if I'm embarrassed and humiliated? What if I get crickets? Um, What if I am criticized and have haters? So they overcame that. And wouldn't it be a tragedy if they had decided, no, I'm going to stay in hiding? It's like Roy Vader says, when your heart is in service, you don't have to be nervous. And I love huh. it. You're so right. Like if you have a gift and and literally anybody could access that gift, but you're like holding it and hiding it from them, it is doing it is doing you a disservice because you're not making money off what you could be. And it's also right. doing them a disservice because you're not helping them and making the impact that you could make in their lives. So I love that. That is, it is, Absolutely. it's like, take yourself, if you're scared and feeling nervous about being visible, take yourself mm-hmm. out of the equation and focus on the people that need you to show up and be visible. Right, exactly. And remember how sad you would be, or you wouldn't know about it, but something would be missing if those people were that one, one person that you are so excited to see every day or every week or wherever, however they show up, how tragic would it be if they had decided not to? Okay, Laura, you are that person. I'm going to officially mm-hmm. use you as my person that I feel, I'm like, <laughs> I would feel sad if she did not become visible. <laughs> Thank you. That is like the greatest compliment ever. If I'll I'm, take it. If I'm ever feeling nervous, I'll channel that. <laughs> um, all right, let's do some fun questions and then we'll wrap up with one final like semi-serious question. So I would love to hear what your favorite TV show is or Netflix show or whatever you call it these days uh, right now. Oh my gosh, it changes every day because I will devour a whole series over the weekend, which I just <laughs> did. So most recently, um, Yellow Jackets. I just like I started it on Friday, I think, and finished it on Sunday, which is so sad. Uh, but I thought Yellow Jackets was great. Um, I'm very excited for Ozark to come back. Us too. Three more days. Oh, I'm so excited <laughs> for that. And here's a hot take. Um which is that I really like and just like that. And I think it might be a contrarian thing in me. Like I'm mad that everyone hates it so much and is so rough on it. And also I am drawn to the fact that Samantha Irby, who's one of my favorite authors, writes on the show. And I've listened to the actually listened to the writers room podcast um, to listen to like what they have to say about the choices that they made. Cause some of them are really questionable and it's, it has so many problems. But I really enjoy it. And I hate anyone who says that they shouldn't have come back, that they should stay in the past and they should stay young and we should be able to think of them that way forever. 
Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. If it took me a second to figure out what you were talking about. Oh, but sorry. I, the no, Sex no. in the City yeah, reboot. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, it is. I yeah. haven't seen it yet, but I definitely, it's on my, like, when my husband's doing something at night, I'm going to watch that by myself list. So. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's the only way to watch it. You cannot watch it with your husband present or really with any, like, I couldn't watch Sex in the City with anybody present, even someone who likes it, because it's a really embarrassing show. Yeah. It's so cringy. And this has the same kind of level of cringe and maybe even a little more cringe, but I really I think it deserves to exist. It is a, a solitary watching experience. For Sounds sure. right up my alley. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is your favorite food? My favorite food is, um, there are two dueling favorites. One is just haagen vanilla ice cream. And the other is spaghetti pomodoro. And I'm very particular about the noodle shape. I it has to be spaghetti. It can't be short. Like I, I don't want rigatoni. Um, I don't want bucatini. Bucatini is unwieldy and will not wind around your spoon. I consider it the dick slap of pastas. <laughs> okay. W- worst pasta, definitely vermicelli, right? Or like angel hair. I don't, I don't you know, know if what? they're the same, but I cannot. <laughs> I understand why you think it's gross. Most people think it's gross. It's very like late 80s basic bitch of me to like vermicelli um that was a very much like in hot eateries in new york they would all serve grilled vegetables with angel hair pasta and that was my favorite dish and i still like angel hair pasta but i understand i will support you i saw it the other day on a gordon ramsay uh one of the chefs used it and i was like no no don't do that (laughs) i think that fettuccine is a pretty laughable noodle (laughs) i love fettuccine as a noodle, <laughs> and you know, in the noodle world. Um, okay, so what's right. one of your, what's been one of your biggest mistakes? One of my biggest mistakes, you know, I always think of a time, this was like a big a business fail. When I was hired to, um, I used to work for this production company called Stun, and they're now called Known, and they're great and they do amazing work. And the way they hire writers, or did at the time, I think still do, would say, we need a day of your genius. So uh, they hired me for a project. I think I hadn't done any freelance work in a long time. Um, And so this was like a big chance. And I, I think I really needed the job. I think I had just been let go from my big corporate contract. And so they hired me for a day of my genius. And um, I like started up for, for some project. Uh, I, I started off in the morning being like, well, I have all day. I mean, I'm a procrastinator. I was like, I don't have any genius ideas yet. The idea of genius, even though it was always how they assigned uh, assignments, it, it just Oh, it paralyzed me, especially when I was starting off with like just no ideas. And I waited hours for the idea to come. I watched TV. I ate cereal. Um, I did all the things that you do when you're waiting for genius to strike and it did not. And, you know, that you know how it is when I think this was in the winter and they wanted my genius at uh, EOD end of day or COB close of business and like five o'clock started to roll around and the sun was going down. It was getting dark and just the dread and then remembering, oh, they're in LA. So end of day 
I've got three more hours. And so I was like, I've got to crank out some genius. And of course I sat there and watched more TV and hoped for the genius to strike. And they called me and they were like, Laura, where's your stuff? We're waiting for it. Did you send it? Did it not go through? And I was like, oh, you guys, I just, I don't have anything. Oh no. I I don't have any genius. And they were like, oh no, Laura. And they were so disappointed. Um, And for some reason or other, they gave me another chance. They hired me again. They must really have had faith in me. But that was the biggest fail because even if I had just written down something, uh, it does, you know, it's never going to start out as genius, or maybe it is. The key to, uh, to cranking out genius is to crank out a bunch of shit. And I don't think I understood that yet. Um, It took me a long time to get there. But that's the thing that I'm still most embarrassed about is being hired for a day of genius and not coming up with anything, even like a bunch of shit on a page. Well, I'm actually really glad you shared that story because I think a lot of people do that. They wait for something to fall from the sky when really Mm -hmm. the thing comes when you're actually doing the thing. So always, (laughs) always. Like I don't have any ideas yet. That's just never the ideas do not come from the sky. Especially when you're telling yourself that, like, right. I, don't, I don't have anything. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So let's flip that. And what's been one of your biggest successes? One of my biggest successes that I've done on my own, because, you know, Copy Cure comes to mind. That's my course with Marie Forleo. But she's so largely responsible for the success. So am I of creating it. But um, her, like, her infrastructure, I think, makes it a huge hit because we have her network to sell it to. But on my own, creating and launching Inbox Hero, which was my first real project product, uh, my first thing that I did with an actual open cart and closed cart launch. And I didn't think I was capable of that. Everyone else was creating courses and creating programs. um, And I always thought I don't have something to I don't have one to make. I don't have an idea. And I also don't think I'm capable of doing like all that. I don't, I don't want to hire a team and do a bunch of modules on video. And that's not how I like to learn things. And it's not what I wanted to do. And I thought you had to do that. And I don't want to do webinars and I don't want to run a launch like everyone else does. And it, I, it finally dawned on me that I didn't have to do it that way. And I launched it and it was a six figure launch all on my own with just emails. I call it a six-figure lazy launch. And that, to me, that first launch of it is probably my proudest moment in business. Um, and I would say also creating and launching and and running now four times Shrimp Club, which is my mastermind. And that's also something I didn't think I was capable of doing. I mean, you could have just swiped a template for the launch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, all right. Last last uh, rapid fire question. Your thoughts on Instagram reels? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I Listen, I know that reels don't have to mean dancing and pointing. But they know, always do. But they always do. I They just do. I, maybe I need to make reels to just to prove that it doesn't have to be done that way. Uh, but they embarrass me every time, when, especially now. Every time I see one of my friends, um, and you know, bless, I know these get traction. I know they work, but I would rather eat a bag of hair than dance or like awkwardly, like my with my overbite 
awkward dancing overbite, like nod my head and point at words that give some sort of a tip. Laura, I hear you. I have taken to like, I was like, I know I should do one. So I went through my phone and tried to find all of like, you know, I have like lots of pictures that are the same, but in different seasons or me sitting on my couch with my socks up. And now I'm on my bed with my socks up. So I just, (laughs) I just make montages of like my socks and my dog. Okay. It's all good. Okay, <laughs> I, that's acceptable. I, now, I, I'm that. now I'm done. Now I'm done. I've done two, done. and I'm, I don't right. think I'm doing these anymore. They're dumb. <laughs> They're dumb, and they look like hostage videos. <laughs> they we are, are. We are going to look back on these and and shake our heads. That is for we sure. We are. You know what? They are hostage videos. We're all hostage to this algorithm. Yes. And and what everyone else is doing, and I refuse. All the more reason to bump it up in your email. And your email copy. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. What is, let's leave people with one action step that they can take starting today to improve their copy throughout their branding on their website, their social media, their email, et cetera. One action step. Okay. My first action step is for most people is to read your copy out loud to yourself and see if it sounds like you. Does it sound like you talking to a friend or does it sound like you reading something off a page, um, something that was written for business? And wherever it doesn't sound like you, change it. Make it sound like a person. That is the That's the root word of personality is person. So if you want your copy yeah. to have personality, you've got to sound like a person. That is super good advice. Okay. And then what's the next step they should take? Like what resource do you want to share with people to help them? Oh, well, I th- if, you, if you haven't picked it up, I think email is the key to business. So um, to, to marketing, especially if you're a personal brand. So uh, and even if you are not, if you're, a, if you're a cookie brand also, um, so swing by talkingshrimp.com slash subject lines, and you can get the subject line freebie that I mentioned before. It's so good. It's my 33 most open subject lines and for that tanked and then templates. These are not swipe copy. They're templates, they're frameworks to write your own. Um, and so I have that. And I also have, a guide to non-sucky copy, which will help you sound like you and help your copy be more powerful and effective. And that is also, it's also at talkingshrimp.com. You can find it there or at talkingshrimp.com slash, uh, slash secrets. That's it. Okay. I will have all of those, both of those in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was super fun. And I really appreciate you taking time with me. Um, I loved it. Thank you. Me too. Thank you for having me, Emily. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.